So I'm, you know, <clears throat> how many of y'all been here the last week or two? Okay, wait before that. Okay, so, yeah, this isn't like, I'm not teaching, we're discussing, right? So we're in Genesis 3, we've been there for a while, we're hopefully going to finish this up. Um, so, um, I'm going to, I'm going to run back through what we've done so far just to get us ready for what we're going to do today. So we, we, we're talking about crime and punishment. How does God react to things that are not, um, that we would consider crimes against him? Uh, and we're looking in the Old Testament because that's where um, Jesus and Paul and all the people who wrote the New Testament would have looked for this. Um, and um, so we started with the beginning and we got man created, uh, man and woman created and then the serpent comes in and and we've talked about the last couple of weeks some interesting things in the story that this was at an oral story for hundreds maybe thousands of years before it was finally written down um, and if you miss that we can we can talk about that later but just and I'm not trying to lecture but the Genesis story is a very old story Hebrew as a language didn't appear until about the time of King David. If Moses wrote this down, he wrote it down in Egyptian and sealed it up in the Ark of the Covenant. Um, so this story was at least oral through the slavery period in Egypt, um, through the Abraham's time wandering around. That's hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of years. And then in oral stories, when, when the person who is telling the story wants to get your attention that something's really important, one of the ways they do it is they drop a word in over and over and over again so that you hear it again and again and again. And, and last week we, I had everybody read from the first week and I said, what words did you hear? And someone said, naked. And if, you, if you've read the story, naked just pops up everywhere, right? Um, and it actually pops up more than you think because the Hebrew word for naked is also the word for clever or intelligent or sneakily intelligent. Okay? And so when it says the servant was the most clever or deceptive creature that God made, that's the same word as naked. And so there's this wordplay going on, which is another way that that's like a sign flashing. Jesus does this in a lot of his lessons as a rabbi, by the way. He, he makes word plays. That, that's because the people hearing him would have recognized, oh, this is a word play, like a pun, right? You, everyone recognizes a pun when they hear it. Yes? Mm -hmm. And it gets your attention. And so every time you see the word naked in here, it's designed to get your attention because it's in there in weird, weird places. Okay. And the other thing uh, that's surprising about this, the other way that they get your attention is <clears throat> they, they set up situations where, you, where a person who had some common sense would go, that's weird. So one of the things that we looked at last week was when, when they get to the tree in verse 6, it says, the woman saw that the tree was beautiful with delicious food and it would provide wisdom. Now, she's in the middle of a garden with a bunch of trees that provide delicious food. And, and why is a tree beautiful? What, what does that mean? 
And, and the, the word here means beautiful like Solomon uses the word beautiful. Feminine beauty. Okay? And, and that's an odd description of a tree. Okay? And it, and it has to do with desire. So when the rabbis go through this, and, and those of you who've been here the whole time, I keep dropping back to the rabbis. There's about 40 different rabbinical interpretations of this. In fact, the good rabbis will tell you, don't turn to the rabbis for this because we argue about it all the time. But they all agree that there's, some, that there's at least two themes running through this. One has to do with this word naked that keeps popping up, okay? And one has to do with this tree, okay, and why it was so tempting. Because this, it, the servant tempts Eve, but all the servant really says is, you know, you're not really going to die if you eat this you'll be like God. And the rest is Eve and Adam. So that's what we talked about last week. I'm just trying to bring you all up to where we are. So the last thing that we talked about, and I think it probably, I, I think it probably staggered some people is, you notice that Eve is the one that the servant's talking to the whole time? Now my whole life I grew up with sort of the unconscious impression that like the serpent found Eve alone in the garden and, and sneaks her to this tree and gets her to pull fruit off and eat it, and then she goes and finds Adam? That's not the case. Adam is absolutely with Eve this whole time. It says it plainly. And if you grew up like I did, thinking that somehow Eve and the serpent are alone while this is happening, and then she gets a fruit and eats it and then brings Adam in the story, that's just not right. And if you look at verse... Uh, 6 of chapter 3, the woman saw the tree and it was beautiful with delicious food and the tree would provide wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her. I missed that for 30 years, right? Because we all have our own little glasses that we read the story with. Yes? Edom is, uh, Edom. <laughs> That's even Adam, right? That's, right? I don't know. Uh, Edom. Adam is right there the whole time, and the snake is talking to Eve. He never, he never steps in. He never, right? And I, I say that to say, when I was being taught this story, when I was little and they were putting figures on felt boards, it's almost like they implied that Eve was more at fault than Adam. Mm -hmm. Eve succumbed to the temptation, and then she tempted Adam. That's plainly not the case. They're both there the whole time. Eve's just the one in the lead. And, and I think I blew everyone's mind last week when I said, Eve is in charge in this situation. That's why the snake's talking to her. She picks the fruit and eats it and then hands it to Adam and says, hey, eat this. Okay, now, if that makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry, but that's just the story. Okay? Eve's in charge right now. Now, she may not be in charge all the time. I think that they were co-equal here. But in this situation, Eve's the one running the show. But Adam is there. Okay? So no, no saying, oh, well, you know, I'm a guy. I really wasn't as responsible. Uh, that's totally bogus. Okay? All right, so that's where we got to last week. Now, here's, here's what I want. You guys read this, and I'll throw out questions, and we'll discuss. That's, that's the only way I know how to run class. 
and I know I've been up here blabbing, but I just want to make sure we were all up to where we are. Okay? Um, so they've eaten. All right, we're in verse 7. So somebody read 7, 8, 9, and 10. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. What? Anything strike you as odd about that passage? I heard your voice when I was covered deceitful and I hid it. If you want to read it that way, it works, doesn't it? I realized I'd been deceitful, so I hid. That actually works better for me than naked. Uh, yeah, so the first thing is, Adam's not naked anymore. I missed that for 30 years. Adam and Eve realize they're naked, and what do they do? What do they do first? Yeah, yeah, they, right, they, yeah. They, right, they, they, they sew fig leaves together and cover themselves up, and then they hear God in the garden, who comes and walks with them every day, Right? And they hide from him. Okay, so hide and hide, you know, that's one of those things that ought to jump out at you, right? Just tossing that out there. Okay? And then what's, what's Adam's excuse for hiding for God, from God? I was naked and afraid. And he's plainly not naked anymore. It just told us he and Eve had sewed fig leaves together. Did you, ever, did you ever notice that before? I think they didn't know they were naked before that. Well, <laughs> I, like how would you what, not know that? What reason would they have to pay attention to it? So, so the word no here has some interesting things to it. I think that they, I, I think maybe they didn't understand. I mean, again, I think that's something that is valid to point out. It's odd that they suddenly knew they were naked. What does that have to do with the knowledge of good and evil? But I think the naked play is, I don't know, that sounded odd. Let me back, let me back, out, of, let me back out of that phrasing, okay? I'm going to back out of that phrasing. Um, I think the play on the word naked here is interesting because they eat the fruit, they realize they're naked. Now remember, naked can also mean intelligent or clever or even deceitful, Okay? So they realize they're naked. And plainly, I mean, in the story, they, they sew fig leaves together to cover their physical nakedness. And then they hide from God. God says, why were you hiding? And Adam says, I was naked and afraid. But he's not because they just sewed fig leaves together. But he's afraid because he knows he did something wrong. Okay. Um, so this is really a super important passage. And remember, everything about this is designed to show us something about humankind. Because what's the Hebrew word for humankind? Adam. It's Adam, Adam. Those of you who haven't been here, you would know that. Okay? And so this, this whole story is humankind's interaction with God. Now, it may be a specific person, 
but, but they plainly stand for all of humanity. Jesus and Paul bring that out later, right? That, what Adam and, that the story of creation here is not just Adam and Eve, it's all of us. Yes? Through one man's sin came for the, right? Y'all remember? Jesus says a lot of stuff about, at, and, and he's speaking rabbinically when he does it, okay? Believe it or not, by Jesus' time, the rabbis had been like debating this story for 400 years. And there were lots of rabbinical interpretations. When Jesus talks about this story, what he says, and we miss it because we don't read it from a rabbinical standpoint, what he basically says as a rabbi is, look, plainly in this story, humankind is represented by this one man, Adam, humankind. You see the word play there, yes? Okay? And see what, what this one man did in the story is what we all do. Okay? Do we all, when we realize that we've been deceitful, do we try and hide that from ourselves and from God? Do you see that in this passage? They, they realize we've been deceitful. We ate the fruit that we weren't supposed to eat. So they try and hide it from themselves. Fig leaves, right? And then they try and hide it from God. Yes? I'm going to give you a harmless example that you'll all recognize. Are you ready? I'm telling you this is harmless, but just to get you thinking along these lines. So I hear this all the time. I knew that before I took the test, but then I forgot it all while I was taking the test. That's an example of us hiding that from our, hiding, being deceitful with ourselves. I tell students all the time, I'm not your parents. You don't have to lie to me like that. If you know it, you know it. And they're like, no, Coach Rowland. I'm like, tell me the ABCs. It's 26 answers that you have to repeat from memory. If I gave you a pop quiz right now, write the ABCs, upper and lower case, 52. How many of you would make 100? When was the last time you studied it? Because once you know something, you know it. Now, you may have crammed it and thought you knew it and, and, and tried to memorize it 10 seconds before you took the test, but you didn't really know it. And, and saying, I knew it, and then I forgot it, is just one way we self-deceive. I do it too, y'all. Don't y'all do that? Yes? It makes us feel better about ourselves. It's like, well, I tried. Sure, you tried. You didn't know it, but you tried. Yes? We as humans self-deceive, and then we try and deceive God. We're good at self-deception. Yeah? I'm just saying. But at some point we realize what's going on, we feel guilty about it, and then we try and deceive God about that. This is just humankind. The rabbis are pretty uniform about this. This is about deception. The tree is about desire and letting your desires dictate your actions more than everything else. And humans, desire's not bad, intellect's not bad, Spirituality is not bad, but they should be in a balance, which is how they were with Adam and Eve. 
and the, the serpent played on desire. Don't you want to be like God? Isn't that tree beautiful? Don't you think that tree, that fruit would be delicious? Don't you want to be wise? Right? Okay? And this is about deception. Right? Adam's not telling a lie. What does he say to God when God says, why did you hide? I was, I was naked and afraid. Truth. I always thought he was lying. Right? But he is actually talking to God directly. Like God's physically there. So he knows lying's not going to do him any good. He was naked and afraid. Right? Okay. So what else happens here? Somebody read 11... And 12, go. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. I thought he was so petty. I always thought so too. I was like, what a, what a wimpy weenie. Okay, I'm, I'm going to toss this out there. Adam's still being absolutely truthful. Because he's talking to God. I'm not saying he's not making an excuse. I'm just saying he's being literally truthful. Is he lying? Omitting his motives. Maybe. Maybe. He's being literally truthful. He's talking to God. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes? Yeah. yeah. Who told you were naked? Well, no one told me. Right? Did you eat the fruit? She gave it to me. Literally the truth. Yes? And still a little bit deceitful. Maybe. Okay? Just tossing that out there. All right? Um, what does God say? Okay, so read 13 and 14. Or read 13. sin, do we want to pass the buck? When we don't live up to the standards that we know we should live up to, how often do we try and pass that buck? This is a hard passage because this is hard for all of us. Is this a human characteristic? It wasn't my fault. The dog ate my homework. It, do you see this in your life and your friends' lives and your family's lives? Because I do, right? Why is this bad thing happening? It's not my fault. It's probably that, that, those people over there. Yeah? I'm asking. Is this a human characteristic? I feel like you can avoid that, though. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm willing to hear that. I mean, you can certainly train yourself to be better at it, I think, yeah, right? Maybe it is inherent, but I certainly think you can avoid it. Okay. Um, 
So I coach, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's let's talk about football because that's a safe subject. Yeah. Who who's the best Who's the best high school football team in Murfreesboro? Plainly, plainly Oakland. Did they cheat to get that good? Recruiting players. Did they? But but what's our tendency? Uh, we all have that tendency, yes? Oh, well, they dominate everyone, so plainly they cheat. Yes? Do, do you feel how, you, how we pass? Like, I'm, I'm coaching the worst football team in Murfreesboro right now, you know. I just am. Well, the second worst. Rockville's the worst. Yeah? And we want to say, oh, well, the reason they're that good is they, they cheat. They, they recruit players. Now, they did get caught by the TLS Delay cheating this year. But, but that doesn't mean that any of their other players were illegally obtained. Yes? But y'all see how we just want to make it someone else's problem. Yes? That's the first thing we jump to. Why is Alabama the best team in the SEC? They plainly cheat to get the best players. Maybe they do. But that's, our, that's where we want to jump. Isn't it? I do. I have to, I, and like you said, I have to like catch myself and step back from that and say, I, you know, I don't, I don't really know that. Jesus, to the most religious people, Jesus was a Pharisee, by the way. That would have been who he aligned with. I know that freaks y'all out because who did he who did he preach at the most? And the Pharisees. He preached at the Pharisees the most, didn't he? I mean, he's going after them all the time. That's because we 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 tend to go after the people that we're closest with when we see them like not living up to what they should be. I'm just saying, yeah. We go after what we know and the, and, and the people and traditions that we're familiar with, right? Yes? Okay? That's why I picked Murfreesboro for who's the best football team because if you live here, you, you have a good idea of that, right? Um, what does he go after from four over and over again? Well, one of the things is putting burdens on other people, right? Passing the buck. Yeah? Tossing that out there. Okay. Um, so both the man and the woman passed the buck. Man says, ah, ah, she gave it to me. Eve says, snake made me do it. Right? Okay. So here's where we are. So we've got the crime. We actually have a bunch of crimes. Would you agree? There's the initial disobedience. Yes? And then there's this whole, like, hiding like, yeah, I'm naked. I'm going to hide that. I'm going to hide from God now. Okay, he's caught me, but I'm going to point my finger at this other person. Yes? Okay. How does God punish it? Because, remember, this is a study of how we want to learn something about God. It's tough learning about us. <laughs> That's hard. Yes? But, but the important thing is, what can we learn about God from this? Now, um, so 
I'm going to ask you to try and pull the glasses off from when you were little and putting stuff on felt boards about this story. Okay? Because I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to read what God says to the snake. Okay? That's verses 14 and 15. Somebody read that. Okay? The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Okay. This whole snake is a weird thing anyway. It was walking around talking. That, that clues you in that something strange is going on, okay? And the eternal enmity between the snake and, and the woman, I, okay, I don't know what that, I really don't know what that means. Here's, here's something that um, a really wise commentator pointed out that I never thought of before. The man says, the woman made me do it. The woman says, the snake made me do it. And if, certainly they're passing the buck. But who does God talk to first? The snake. Because God agrees the snake is the primary mover of this. Sure, the man's passing the buck. Sure, the woman's passing the buck. But the snake is more to blame. So God deals with the snake first. Right? Then who does God deal with? Yeah? Then who does He deal with? You see the order reverse there? Yeah? Right? It, it goes in order of like, who was, who was the first person involved in this? The snake. Then who was the second person? Eve. Then who was the third person? Adam. Now Eve and Adam were there together, but Eve did eat the fruit first. Yes? Okay. So God deals with it on a first come, first come basis. I don't know if that tells us something about the nature of God, but I think it is important to note that he doesn't discount the fact that Adam said, she did it and then handed it to me, which is true. And he doesn't discount the fact that Eve says, well, the snake tempted me to do it, which is also true. What they're saying is true. Do we agree? It just is kind of sneakily passing the blame. Just tossing that out there. That's an interesting study. We won't have time for it in here. Is there a hierarchy of blame here? Are there worse sins? And that's a really deep question. But it says something about the nature of God. If, and, and by the way, I would, I would contend that Jesus taught that there are worse sins. But that's a huge, deep study. Um, the rabbis would contend that there, there are worse. And, and um, I'll, I'll just toss this out there. Jesus says all the law and the commandments rest on only two. What are they? Well, if there are two most important commandments, violating those might be the worst sins. Just tossing that out there. Now, that, that's a whole nother study. I thought I'd toss that in there just to get you thinking deep thoughts. And even if you disagree with me, that's okay. That's all right. 
um, at least we're all thinking about God and, 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 and how He deals with us and thinks about these things. Okay, so God says to the snake, look, you're no longer walking around, you're crawling on the ground, you're at enmity with the woman, which means all of mankind here. Yes? I heard someone say, this is why girls are all so scared of snakes. And I was like, that, that is the most sexist thing I've ever heard in my life. I've seen boys jump and scream and run off in snakes, and I've seen girls pick them up and look at them. Right? Okay? Okay. All right. So here's my question. You ready? We're going we're gonna to read what he says to, uh, to Eve. All right. Somebody read verse 16. Go. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Okay. Alright, so here's an interesting thing. the punishments, okay? Does God say to the snake at the very first, the Lord God said to the snake, does he say, here is your punishment? Okay. That's significant. Never caught that before, did you? Like I said, I was like 30. The Lord God says to the snake, here's your punishment. No, he didn't. He said, because you did this, you're cursed. Is it a punishment or is it a result? I'm just going to toss out there that there's huge debate about this. In other words, if... Heaven forbid, if I murder somebody and their family hates me, is that a punishment or is it a result of what I did? So I'm just tossing that out there because all of this sounds like punishment. But interestingly enough, God changes what he says in parts of this from I will do this to you to this is what will happen, which are significantly different. And, it, and, and, and the listeners to this story would have heard that. I'm not, I'm not saying it even has significance. Some people would argue it's just different ways of saying the same thing. And okay, but I'm just tossing out there, maybe what God is saying to the snake here is, because you did this, all of creation is damaged. And a result of that is you're no longer intelligent. You're, you're totally an animal now. I don't know. Okay? Um, because in verse 15, what does God say? Look at the first part of verse 15. And I will put contempt. There's God, right? Because you did this, this will happen, and I'm going to do this. Do you, do you see it? I don't, I don't know. I mean, he may have been saying, I'm going to do both. You know what I'm saying? But what do y'all think? Have you always read it like God is doing this to all of them? Th these are all his punishments? 
I always write like that too until someone much wiser than I was talking about this and I went, oh yeah, I've never noticed that. I also never noticed Adam was with Eve the whole time. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's a good question. I don't, I don't know the answer. It's, it's a good question. Like, you're cursed. Does that mean God put the curse on them? Or is all of creation cursed and so you're cursed and this is what's going to happen to you? I, like I said, there's debate here. Okay? Um, I just wanted you to see there's some debate about this in particular. Okay? What does he say to Eve? Pregnancy is going to be painful. And you, you will desire your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, remember who was in charge when the snake was there? Eve. Eve. Well, I, I, again, big debate here. Does this mean God made men physically stronger so they can physically rule over women here? Or is this a mandate from God? This is God saying, uh, last time the woman was in charge, bad things happened. Maybe. So let's, let's make a little... Maybe. Or maybe men and women were the same physical strength, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's a commentary just on how society is going to develop from here on out because of this. Because let's be honest, how did society develop from then on out? Were men and women equals? In the world today in general, are men and women equals? I don't think they'll ever be treated as Pl- Plainly, they are not. Mm-hmm. Right? Even in the most democratic societies on the planet, they're still not equals. Would you agree? And certainly they're not physically equal, are they? I can tell you as a coach they're not. The worst male pro basketball player is better than the best female pro basketball player. And not because they're not equally dedicated to their craft. He's just stronger, faster, jumps higher. Yes? Yes? Or to put it another way, there's only one female pro basketball player ever who has dunked a ball in a game. And as a, as a college person, I could dunk the ball two-handed, and I am in no way a pro basketball player. Yes? Okay. So, and, and we're not just talking physically equal here. Plainly, this, this came about an inequality. The question is, what kind of inequality is God talking about? And is he talking about this is what's going to happen because of this? Or is he saying this is what I'm making happen? I, different Christians and Jewish people at different times would say different things. I'll tell you this. In Jesus' day and up to the day, the primary rabbinical interpretation of this is this means physically men are more powerful and that men and women are not equal in what their responsibilities are, but that they should be equal in their value. I'm not gonna, I don't, I don't wanna get into 
there's lots of different interpretations of this, okay? What does God say to Adam? That's right. That's right. First of all, you are going to die. The serpent lied. Just not right now, but you are going to die. And you're going to have to labor. No more free fruit in the garden. Right? Yes? Because the ground, which most rabbis and I think most Christian people would say, means creation in general is now cursed. You wrecked creation. You were supposed to be the caretakers of creation. That's what I made you for, if you look back in Genesis 2. Your creation was to be the caretaker of all the rest of creation, and you wrecked it. So from here on out, life's going to be hard and short. Basically, that's, what he said. that's, that's the paraphrase. Yes? Okay. Did God do this, or is it a result? Again, different people will say differently, but the way I read it is it's a result. I think the Christian, the basic Christian interpretation in here is this is a result. Because you did this, creation is wrecked. You wrecked it. Uh, it could be read either way, just like the other parts of this. Yes? Okay. I always read it that, like, he wasn't punishing them because he was mad. So it was like, he had to do it. Like, he had no other choice. Maybe. Right. Okay. I, yes, good. So that's, a, that's an all, I mean, I've heard, I've, believe it or not, I mean, 40 different rabbinical, I mean, there's at least 40 schools of thought on this, uh, just from the rabbis, not just in Christian writers, too. Okay? Here, here's what I would say about this. God may have done all this, like, you did it, so here's what I'm doing to you. Or he may have been saying, you did it, so here's the results. Or he may have been saying, um, you did this, so here's the results, and I have to do some of this. Okay? Either way, um, I think I, my personal opinion here is most of this is, you did this, and so inevitably these things follow. Not, I'm doing this to you, but you, you murdered this person, so now their family is very angry at you, and they're going to seek revenge. Yes? Okay, last thing. I think, and, and then we're done with this Genesis thing. God has a discussion with God, which may seem strange, but that happens in the Old Testament a lot. Okay? And says, we can't leave these human beings in the garden. Because now they've become corrupt, and if they eat of the, free, the, the fruit of the tree of life, they'll live forever that way. So we have to kick them out. Is that a punishment? No, it's a direct hazard. Okay. It's at, okay, now, here, here's what I want you to see. So far, God may or may not have punished, but certainly some of it at least was, this is just the results of what happened. Yes? In the next few verses, here's what God does. He makes them clothing. He kills animals and makes them clothing. And then 
He puts them out of the garden so they can't live forever. I would contend that both of those are acts of mercy. And then he does something else, which we'll find out in the rest of Genesis. He doesn't quit walking and talking with them. He continues to take care of them, but they can't be in the garden. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about them getting put out of the garden. If God had left man corrupted in the garden to live forever, how could he have redeemed them? Because the only way to redeem that was for someone who wasn't corrupted to die in place of mankind because the penalty was death. Right? And for years in the Middle Ages, Christians were like, oh, see, the ultimate punishment put out of the garden. I disagree. How does God react to His favorite creation wrecking everything? He clothes them, and then He saves them and continues to be with them. He doesn't stomp off in a godly huff. He doesn't put them in time out with no God around. He doesn't kill them right away. Right? He takes care of them and makes sure that they're in a position where, in the end, He can save them even though they just wrecked the whole thing. All the weird stuff in the story comes down to how does God react when man wrecks everything? He loves on them. How does God react when man is deceptive? He makes them close and puts them out of the garden so that at some point He can bring them back. Awesome that out there. Wait, this is the Old Testament. This is the vengeful God, right? Same God. Just tossing that out there. If this is a story about how all of mankind deals with God and how God deals with all of mankind, is it a hopeful story? Is it a story of grace and love or is it a vengeful story? hopeful. It's like the Empire Strikes Back. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything goes wrong in the Empire Strikes Back. The real base gets destroyed. Luke gets his arm chopped off. He finds out Darth Vader's his father. Yes. But in the end, he's in a tank getting regenerated. Han and Chewie are going off to, to help people, right? The Rebel, is, the Rebel Alliance is still alive. Yes, and there's some hope. Just tossing that out there. Okay? This ends with some hope um, and a God who's trying to take care of us. All right, so here's where we're going next time. Abraham. Y'all know Abraham? Was Abraham Jewish? Two big questions that always trips up college classes. Was, was Jesus a Christian? No. Jesus was a Jew. That blow, like half of them just went, what, what? Plainly, Jesus is not a Christian. You're a Christian. You follow him. 
He's a Jew. He's a Jewish rabbi. Was Abraham a Jew? No. Jacob was the original Jew. He's Abraham's grandson. His other name was Israel, and God formed a covenant with him about his descendants. Abraham wasn't a Jew. He did, but it's not the same covenant. I, yes, good. Okay, so we're going to look at Abraham. What is Abraham called, by the way? Father of the... Nation, father of many nations. Father of the righteous. Yes? Well, what made Abraham righteous? Maybe we can take a look at that. Because we know what's righteous now. Let's see what God counts as righteous. You may be a little surprised. I'm just saying. Okay, that's next week after we all have our Christmas presents. By the way, y'all have a great Christmas. I hope everyone gets some rest and gets uh, all the crazy electronics that you asked for. And, right? <laughs>